really, if you pull yourself out of it, no one really cares about a lot. Like, mm. no one's sitting there judging you for the little things. Um, you know, unless, yeah, if they are, they're kind of probably not good for you and are toxic and shouldn't be around. But um, the small things in life, people just don't care. Yeah, it's like, very true. And if you're so busy thinking about what other people think, you're just going to get run in circles and you're going to never get anywhere and you're never actually going to have your own direction. Welcome back to the Post School Podcast, the life guide you didn't even know you needed. This is your chance to learn about all the wacky, wonderful, inspiring, and downright insane stuff that normal people like you and I have done after high school. The Post School Podcast aims to leave you feeling motivated to chase your dreams by dispelling the myth that life is mediocre. Through the stories of incredible people who are doing incredible things with their lives, you and I will learn just how not boring life really is in the big wide world. Are you ready? Let's go. Jesse, thanks for joining me on the Post School Podcast. What's going on? I'm, uh, I'm stoked to sit down with you. You, to me, are a bit of a mystery. Okay. So I guess right, we're going to jump in straight away. The man, they call me. Dude, we're going to jump in straight away to just like a bit about sort of what you do. Yeah, um, cool. Explain it to us sort of high level. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, uh, how could I elevator pitch this? So... Um, Basically, if I could put it, boil it down to one thing, I work in social media management and content creation for hospitality-based businesses across Sydney. Um, still kind of in the infancy stages. I've got a couple of staff members that work for me, but we're not a big organization yet. Um, but, you know, we, we specialize in really high quality content um, and mainly organic growth. But we are also, you know, working through uh, paid ads, boosted ads, especially at the moment with the way social media is moving. Mm. Aside from, or well, even TikTok included, you've got to be spending money on those platforms to maximize the output for content. Um, and if you're spending three to four hours on content, what's the point in doing it without if it doesn't go well? For sure. <laughs> and it could go well and it should go well because it's good quality content, you yeah. know. I like that mindset. Yeah. What channels are you using? Um, so mainly uh, at the moment, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Um, you know, I started my career on YouTube, funnily enough. Wow. Um, That's going to yeah. be like real high quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I loved it, to be honest. I was I really, it was really rewarding. To be honest, it's where I have had the most um, like diehard fans was through YouTube and they still message me about coming back onto YouTube, but it's, it's such a time commitment mm. and, um, I don't think I'd be able to run my business efficiently if I was doing it full time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Talk to me about the early days. So obviously yeah. you've built quite a big personal brand, yeah. especially on Instagram. Yeah. Where did that all start? So... Um, it all boiled down to, I mean, do, do you want me to talk about the YouTube or the Instagram? Like, cause they're very different stories. What, what came first actually? So YouTube, yeah, the chicken or the there. egg, YouTube was the chicken. Yeah. Um, uh, so we, I started YouTube five years ago, 2017, March, March, 2017. And, um, I, it's a really roundabout way that I came to YouTube and also competitive eating, which is what kind of kick-started my career. And it all uh, started because I was actually going through a process of finding and learning about nutrition um, and, and obviously like bodybuilding and, and gym and everything like that because um, 
you know, I grew up at a very young age, always doing very high level sport. I was a triathlete for 13 years, um, uh, before I finally, uh, retired. And so I needed to channel that energy and channel that, uh, meticulousness into something. And so I started to spend, you know, two to three hours sometimes every night looking up Google Scholar, um, articles about different diets and different, you know, different areas of nutrition. I'm not a nutritionist, but I spent all that time digging deep into it. And, and then that's where I kind of landed on intermittent fasting. And I still intermittent fast to this day. Um, and I went for the simple one, which is 8-16. So it's like eight hours of feasting and 16 hours of uh, fasting. Mm. Um, so I generally don't eat until about 1 p.m. most days. And because of that, I was eating larger and larger meals. I was only eating two meals a day, pretty much. And so my nighttime meals were huge. Wow. Like one and a half to two kilos of food in one sitting. How do you do that? She will, man. <laughs> Bro, I sit down for dinner with like a small plate and I struggle. Yeah. yeah, exactly, man. And like, I was already a big eater as a kid. Like I'd finish a, you know, 100K ride with my squad and I'd eat two Subway footlongs and wouldn't really blink an eye. I'd eat like two Domino's pizzas for lunch. But this was another level. Like this is where I'd finish and I'd be like, oh like on the couch like oh, I don't want to move massive food coma yeah exactly food coma that's why, where I got the name from and um, this is down around the time of like Pokemon Go and like everyone's out walking around and my roommate was trying to pull me out of the of the house trying to get me to do uh, Pokemon Go with him but I'm sitting there with like two kilos of food in my stomach so um, obviously that kind of was the lead up and that was like training that I didn't even know I was doing mm-hmm. and um so I started to do, uh, like eating bigger and bigger. Um, and one time, you know, we'd had a couple of drinks on a Saturday night. It was Sunday morning. He was like, all right, I want to see if you can eat a whole KFC family burger box. And I was like, ah, oh, that'd be nothing, man. Watch me do it. So I ordered a family burger box and, um, we sat down and like, it was like 10 minutes and the whole thing was just gone. And I was like, oh man, I'm kind of still hungry. In 10 minutes? Yeah, like, I, you know, give or take. Like, yeah. I wasn't sitting there with a timer, <laughs> but you know. Um, and so I, I grabbed a frozen pizza after and then I ate that as well. Uh, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so it's like, it kind of, uh, it kind of awoken something in me and um, my roommate was like, Dude, have you ever... Have you ever watched Matt Stoney? And I was like, oh, no, who's this guy? Like, what are you talking about? And it's this like tiny 65 kilo um, Asian bloke in America that eats like five kilos of food in minutes. Um, (laughs) And so he was like, do you want to start a, like, should we do a YouTube channel and like, you know, do a, do a few challenges and see how you go. And, you know, next thing I know, like I did my first challenge and I've smashed it. Second challenge, I won free food for a year at Cranides. So I was like, hey, this is a pretty good gig. Yeah, you know, that's all right. <laughs> um, maybe it's time I start to take this a little bit more seriously. So we started to try and do one each week. And then, you know, it kind of, it, it took a long time to get there. You know, I only had 100 subscribers after six months. Wow. Um, what was the content you were making at that point? 
So it was just YouTube and yep. it was just competitive eating videos. So yeah, like okay. I would go uh, go to a venue and we'd film the making of the, the challenge and I'd sit down and try and eat it as fast as possible. Yep. Um, and yeah, like it got it started and uh, it took a while to really find any sort of momentum. Like at the time I was also working like four jobs wow. and like I was at uni and I was living out of home and like, so like... Yeah, you know, finding the time was difficult and... Um, was competitive eating bringing in any income? <laughs> yeah. <nah. laughs> Does it no. now? Uh, the it, it, only time it really brought me any income is when I went to competitions. Yeah, okay. Um, and so, like, the YouTube channel, like, maybe made me a 100 bucks every two or three months. Um, so, it wasn't really livable wage. Yeah. Um, so... The only way I'd be able to make money was through winning and I had to win. Yeah, um, okay. But then even then, like sometimes the travel outweighed the, the prize money. And the only reason I'd be doing it is to you know, increase my ranking. Yeah. Um, so the only time it, like there was a few times where it really paid, but um, even then you're only looking at like maybe a grand, yeah. you know, um, and that can last you like two weeks. <laughs> so there's like even rankings and everything. Yeah. 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 In Australia. Yeah. Like in the world, there's, there's different, different countries, different ranking systems. Um, you know, and even in America, they've got two different ranking systems. Um, I can't even remember what they're called now. Uh, but yeah, in Australia there was rankings and, um, how hard you get? I got as high as second. Wow. Yeah. So it was good. Um, you know, Do I, these other people like train their whole lives for this stuff. Uh, for most people in Australia, it's a part-time thing because it's, it doesn't pay well enough in Australia. In America, you can almost make it, pretty much make it a full-time job if you're good enough. Um, but so I was going up against these guys, to be honest, I, I personally believe I deserved the number one spot. Uh, especially in the um, kind of year between 2018 and 2019, because I was pretty much undefeated. Um, I, I probably won about seven or eight competitions and I'd beaten the number one and I'd beaten yeah. number two and number three and number all that. But you know, at the end of the day, it was, uh, it's just an ego thing mm-hmm. to try and to, to want that number one. Um, it didn't bring anything extra to me if I was to get it, you know, it was just a bit of an accolade. I mean, it's an ego thing, but it also sounds like you deserved it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what, you know, what are you going to do? Like yeah. if you're chasing your life for like, Having those expectations, you're just going to get nowhere. True. So I kind of had to take it for what it was. And then that's when I started the Instagram. Uh, and that was towards the start of 2018 mm-hmm. <clears throat> or at the end of 2017. And that's and that was a little bit more documentary, like a little bit more food blogging. So I, I went into, you know... Um, taking photos of the food or the challenges I was doing. And then like, and that is what really started the momentum for me was not necessarily the followers or anything like that. The Instagram did actually grow pretty quick, but it was my building my ability to meet business owners and talk to them, get to know them build relationships within the industry and get myself out there really. Yeah. And then 
it was kind of auto autopilot after that. Like I just kept doing, I kept learning about content creation. I got better at taking photos. I learned how to shoot with a professional camera. I learned about lighting. I learned about video. I learned about editing. I learned about everything. Um, and I applied it on my Instagram. I, I was keeping up to date with any sort of trend and, and trying to be ahead of the game. And, um, you know, like I was one of the first people in Australia really on reels, uh, for Instagram for food and that really helped me. And, um, you know, really then like, it's all kind of muddled together for the past four years after that, nothing really changed a lot. I just got better at what I did and I hone those skills better mm. dude that was a perfect breakdown and something you said <laughs> right at the end there like really stuck with me yeah i feel like at a young age it's so easy to get caught up in what you're doing thinking this is going to be forever i yeah. just need to get really good at this yeah but what you said just then and i don't know whether it was intentional or not yeah. obviously you can give us a bit of insight into that yeah. but yeah. you're you were eating competitively mm -hmm. but even though that's what the main focus was you still dedicated so much time towards networking upskilling yes. yourself learning yes. new skills learning yeah. things that are in demand for other people because at the end of the day careers change like yeah. a professional athlete isn't a professional athlete forever no and definitely like, not <laughs> to me that was such a good point yeah. because it is really easy to have that tunnel vision this is going to be forever i just yeah. need to get really good yeah. at this was yeah. it intentional um oh i mean I think it's really important. Uh, I, I can actually probably just say this blanket. I think being able to communicate clearly with people, build relationships and show genuine interest in people, their business. And it doesn't matter how important they are or how small they are like in the, in the, the view of the world that five, 10 minutes that you take, even half an hour to an hour, depending on the person, that little bit of time that you take to sit down and be interested in them um, and show that genuineness and to be able to, and, and also communicate yourself clearly, that is more valuable than any other skill that I know um, because it doesn't matter how smart you are. If you can't communicate that clearly to someone and if you can't show someone that you're your intelligence can actually link to their idea, then it gets lost in translation and mm. you just sound like a jackass. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I, I literally had this experience at uni a few yeah. weeks ago. Oh, really? Tell me about it. Well, I had, I had this idea in my head for a group project that we were doing. Yeah. And Love with, oh, dude, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> um, no, but with, with this group, like because of the nature of my degree, everyone's from a different core discipline. Yeah. Um, so like my way of thinking in the business world mm. is completely foreign to someone who's doing design. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which meant that of course. like, I've got this, <clears throat> I've got this idea yeah. that makes perfect sense in my head. Yeah. And to me, it's like, it's very simple yes. and I'm trying to explain it. And everyone else is yeah. like, I have no idea what you're trying to tell me. Like, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. And yeah, it yeah. was so complicated because I was like, I don't understand how to put this differently so that you understand. Yeah. And then yeah. like from that, it, it made me realize exactly what you just said. I had to go home, think about the idea and how to break it down yeah. in a different way. Yeah. And like, to me, the biggest re the, I guess the biggest enabler yeah. to make that happen is an ability to articulate things. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're continually working on how you articulate things, if you're talking to new people yeah. all the time 
and reflecting on things that didn't go the way that you planned, Boom. that's how you learn that sort of stuff. And that's super important what you just said there, reflection. Um, you know, you need to be able to look at your, what you do and look at, at yourself and, and be able to assess where things have gone right and where, where things have gone wrong. And, um, you know, what you're doing for a group project and what your knowledge in one area may be very different to someone else's. Um, it's really like what I found helped me most with that is I actually come from a coaching background. Um, what were you coaching? I coached swimming and I coached surfing. I even, as a kid, was helping coach younger kids in terms of like triathlon. I was always putting myself in a bit of a mentor role with people because I found that um, I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed being able to try and help people understand things better. And uh, one of the things I learned from um, swim coaching didn't really help me with this side, but surf coaching really helped me with uh, building the ability to... uh, Speaking analogies, so analogies is it's all about picking up the person's, um, the person's personality or, or something about them and trying to relate your information to their understanding. Mm. Um, and I found that that was that is irreplaceable. If you can put yourself in the other person's shoes and try and ex- reverse engineer your explanation towards what they're used to. And you'll be able to explain anything 100%. to anyone. I think for me, like that all starts with empathy. Yeah, exactly. Being able to yeah. have an empathetic mindset yes. allows you to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah, 100%. As, man. I've got a very similar experience. I was working at my old high school as yep. a learning support That's sick. Uh, support teacher. Yeah. And it was just year 11 and 12. So it's yep. very like high level HSC, like very focused on yep. content. Yeah. And I was working with the kids that were was still just as intelligent as everyone else, yeah. but it just didn't click for them. Yeah. And it really took me a while to realize that just because this content made sense for me in the context of school yeah. doesn't mean that it makes sense for everyone in the context of school. Yeah. So like, for instance, I had, I had a boy who was my favorite student by a mile. <laughs> he did terribly at school throughout oh. all of school. Yeah. Um, and no teachers had faith in him whatsoever, yeah. but he believed he could do it. And yeah. I, I believed he could do it too because yeah. he showed up to every lesson. He would really? tell me if he was going to be late. He worked really hard. Yeah. And the day it clicked is when I started using surfing analogies. Yeah, right. He was there a you go. gun surfer. He yeah. loved surfing. Yeah. And I did too. So it was really easy for me yeah. to make those analogies. Yeah. And like, for instance, the PDHPE syllabus. Yeah. As soon as I put that stuff into a surfing context, boom, it clicks and yeah. it's stuck. Yeah, that was that's the thing. Sick. If you can visualize what the theory is yep. in a way that makes sense to you, that's how it sticks. That's awesome, man. It was it was really cool. That's so valuable. Like oh, and sure. and probably that being that mentor to him, um, being that mentor to him is probably so invaluable and he will never forget that. And then will probably carry with him for the rest of his life because it kind of kickstarts something. It gets your mind moving. And once your mind starts moving, you'll be able to build that momentum and, and understand everything better. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's awesome, dude. You've got to be really proud of yourself for that. Oh, I'm stoked. Thank yeah. you, though. Um, <laughs> it's good. I think, like, and this is something I guess I heard a lot going through school. The best yeah. way to learn something for yourself is to be able to teach it to someone else, right? Yeah. But how Very do you true. go about building a skill like coaching? Oh... It is. It's it's such a intangible thing, mm-hmm. um, coaching because uh, I think it it it's actually involves so many different qualities that people don't realize. Like, because it involves being a leader, 
Um, but being a leader to a lot of people is ordering people around or, or trying to have your way be the, the highway or to try and uh, to get people to follow your direction. But in reality, a leader's job is to understand everyone's needs better and help direct the direct everything towards the greater idea that will bring people together and to that will help people understand things better. Mm. Um, so like I think a, being a coach involves leadership, but it also involves empathy and it involves um, being interested in helping people see their own vision, if that makes sense. Because when you're a coach, you're never teaching people, you're never teaching people what your vision is. Mm. You're helping people understand what their vision is in an area. So let's say surfing, you're, you're helping them understand their best way to surf, not how you surf, mm. but the best way for them to surf with their body type, with their fitness level, with their equipment, with their experience, with their fears, you know, yeah. even down to fears and, and stuff like that. And so you're, I, I could go out and, you know, paddle out and forward an eight foot surf and I'd think this is the best day ever. Mm. But for a learner, they're going to crap themselves. Yeah. They're going to be shit scared because it's massive. And, um, you know, it's, it just, it involves so many qualities that are just so intangible and, and so hard to teach. But the best way I could ever try and explain to someone how to be a coach is start. Mm. Put even in normal life situations, take the time to try and learn about other people's needs and, um, and what they're interested in and try and help mentor and look towards un helping them understand themselves. Yeah. I love, I love what you said before. It's like, this is something that dad's drilled into me as well. Yeah. Leadership isn't about you being in front of the line and telling everyone else to get in line no. and follow you. It's about being behind that person and encouraging them to go forward exactly. with whatever way they choose. Like it, it should be about getting the best out of that person. Exactly right. That's a true yeah. leader to me. And I love yeah. that shit. Like I feel like yeah. we're very much on the same level. Yeah, exactly, page. man. Like, yeah, and, and you showed that with the, the way that you mentored um, the, the kids at school. And you showed that with your, uh, with your uni group and, and being able to self-reflect. And that's a huge part as well is you were able to self-reflect in that moment and go, oh, maybe I actually can't explain that properly to them in that way because they don't understand this area. And that takes so much, uh, so much humility to be able to take that and to be able to apply that to yourself and reflect that on yourself because most leaders will say, well, no, I was right and mm. I should be right. But in reality, a leader should be able to go, oh, you know, actually maybe that, that is not the best way to take that thing forward. And sure. Yeah, so. I think a lot of it comes down to being able to overlook the ego. Like yeah, not having the ego as the main yeah. thing. And for me, like that was a massive learning when I was younger is yeah. trying to put the ego behind everything else. Yeah. Because it's... I feel like hard truths are really hard to understand yeah. or accept unless you can get rid of that ego. Yeah. Was yeah. that something that was natural for you or did you have to actually consciously put the ego to the side sometimes? Oh, definitely. <laughs> How did you do it? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think life uh, has a way of naturally helping you reduce <laughs> your ego. Um, you know, like 
in, in complete honesty, when I was uh, growing up as a kid, like I still had an empathetic bone and I was quite, in my body, like I was, I was still a very empathetic kid and I could really feel people's pain. But at the same time, I was a bit of a dick when it came to sport and like I thought that I just was the best at everything and like I, you know, um, I looked forward to being able to show off at things like swimming carnivals and athletics carnivals and cross country because I was like, yeah, that's my moment to shine. And like that comes from a level of insecurity that you have as a teenager, you know, you, you can't get away from that. Everyone's got their own insecurities as a teenager and um, everyone's got their ways of kind of trying to show their worth. Um, but I think for me, I tried to... Ex- so I didn't try to, I was exposed to the world very early on in my life, you know? So I think like as much as it's hard to manufacture it, hardships are probably the most impressive way to create humility and to um, help build leaders. Mm. Obviously it depends how you go during a hardship. Like if you just let it overtake you, then, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to lose. But like, you know, so like from a very young age, I moved out at 18 years old, um, you know, moved in with two complete randoms, never met them in my entire life. I was working four jobs. I was earning $12.50 an hour at Rebel Sport selling shoes. You know, I was living off very minimal, you know, uh, weekly wage. I had a car that I bought that was from 1987, it was $800 when I bought it. Um, you know, I sometimes finished the week and had like $3 in my bank account. And, wow. you know, like I would, you know, I, I just, yeah, I was able to live life really on the line. Um, and then like, it didn't stop there. You know, I was able to kind of, you know, like later on in life, like I, did Everest Base Camp, that was a really like humble experience for me. Um, you know, when I was 21 years old, I had a girlfriend and her, like her mother died, wow. you know, from cancer. So like far out, like that's a, that's a humbling experience as well. Like you really have to pull yourself and your ego out of that situation. Um, and, you know, uh, it like it goes on like my my wife her mother passed away last year so Sheesh. you kind of have to just you really do have to drop your ego in the water um and you have to be able to there's other hardships obviously as well like but the big ones that yeah that that hit you you have to really bounce back and pull your ego out of situations because mm. if you're so caught up in those moments um you know, you don't really have the time to think about the people around you, around you as well sure. and, and, and the way it's affecting them. And um, so, yeah, like, to be honest with you, it's nearly impossible to manufacture a uh, humbling and yeah. <laughs> ego-destroying uh, experience, but life will find a way. <laughs> it's pretty interesting, though. Like, you're able to have a very optimistic outlook on negative experiences which i think is super powerful yeah because it, it helps you jumpstart that rebound yeah of course yeah definitely were there any specific strategies or things you did in the moments where everything was shit to get you out of that oh um a beer doesn't help it doesn't <laughs> hurt sorry a beer doesn't hurt yeah um 
I've I've got a I'm a firm believer of uh, blowing off steam, because um, in reality, you can't just say oh everything's okay. You kind of need to just you need to be angry at things at times. You need to get frustrated. You need to get uh, you need to embrace that and go well yeah like this is stupid. It sucks. I hate it. I'm frustrated. I'm pissed off. I'm angry. I'm you know, and really embrace it. Obviously, like, it's important to uh, bounce out of that, but you need to give yourself that space. You can't just go, oh, you know, this thing happened. Okay, how am I going to spin this positively? You need to go, okay, this is stupid. Yeah. Why did this happen? There's no reason. It's most of the time, or <coughs> a good period of the time, It there's no explainable reason why it happened um and so you know sometimes i'll blow off some steam you know um at 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 given points you know when my um uh when my grandfather was really sick last year and eventually passed away um you know i went out with my friends and got absolutely obliterated (laughs) (laughs) and and but i needed to do that uh you know because i needed to go you know, it, I needed a cathartic experience to go, well, no, like, this is a sad moment. Um, and then you, after you go, okay, well, and you reflect and you go, oh, this person was obviously very special mm. because you feel it like that. Because if you don't feel it, then you're kind of not honoring that person, how special that person was, you mm. know, and going, oh, well, no, life goes on, but life doesn't go on. I really like yeah. that. I've, yeah. um, I've been listening to Jay Shetty quite a bit lately. Okay. And something he says is you've got to feel to heal. Yeah, that's a that great way to put it. It's like, don't just sweep it under the mat because it no. is going to come back up eventually. No, yeah. You're going to have to deal with yeah. it at some point, <laughs> whether it's directly that or you've swept it under the mat for so long that it manifests in a different way. 100%. You're going to have to deal with it. So exactly. I think it is really important to be in that painful process. Mm. Sit with your feelings. Think yeah. about what is going on because mm. like something that I've found through hardship is that mm. you get a real, a much deeper understanding of yourself through that sort of stuff. Mm. And then in future situations, you know how to handle it better. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yes, it sucks, but it's also really necessary. I'd rather go through many, many little hardships now so that when something big happens, yeah. I'm better prepared to handle it than live life with sunshine and rainbows constantly. Exactly. And then have to deal with something really big down the track. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be shocked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's why you kind of have to live life a little bit off the beaten track. Like you need to put yourself in situations where you feel uncomfortable or Mm. where things could go wrong. Um, And then you end up just learning to accept uh, accept when things go wrong. Mm. Um, Yeah. For sure. I think something something else that I heard the other day as well (coughs) that has really stuck with me on the back of this is mm. this idea that people talk about comfort zones in like a binary sense. Like you're either you're comfortable or you're uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but something I learned the other day is that it's not necessarily to grow. You have to put yourself way outside your comfort zone. No, it's like no. there's a line and you can stretch it. Yes. You don't have to break it. Yes. So I think yes. it's, it's a really powerful thing to take a small step outside yes. the comfort zone yeah it doesn't have to be trying something completely different but it yeah. might be this scares me a little bit i'm just gonna try it like you go out on yeah. that saturday night have a few beers mm. i don't want to talk to any girls but 
why not? Why not? What's, what's going to go wrong? Put yourself out there. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I think from that, you learn a lot about the fact that life goes on. <laughs> the sun's going to rise what, tomorrow. <laughs> what really went wrong in that situation? She, she said no to you or looked at you weird and was like, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you'll, you'll be all right. Ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Ego, that's all yeah, it is again. ego out of it. Like, yeah, big deal, whatever. And I actually say this very, um, I'm trying to drill this into my wife at the moment, uh, is at the end of the day, like, really, if you pull yourself out of it, no one really cares about a lot. Like, mm. no one's sitting there judging you for the little things, um, you know, unless, yeah, if they are, they're kind of probably not good for you and are toxic and shouldn't be around. But um, the small things in life, people just don't care. Yeah, it's like, very true. And if you're so busy thinking about what other people think, you're just going to get run in circles and you're going to never get anywhere and you're never actually going to have your own direction. Yeah. Because you're actually so busy thinking about, oh, well, what do mum and dad want me to do? What does my wife want me to do? What is, um, you know, obviously within reason you have to take people's uh, stake into consideration, their stake in your life. But um, at the end of the day, like your Joe Blow next door is not going to care whether you, you know, you're in a startup and <clears throat> you're not making any money. Like who cares? You know? Yeah. So, I mean, the way that I like to explain it is, like I think about how much I think about my own actions. Yeah. So every time I do something or say something, yeah. I'll replay it ten yeah. times over. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> and then it's but then I get in the habit of thinking they're thinking about me as well. Yes. But yeah. like put it this way, if you're thinking that much about yourself, that mm. person is thinking that much about themselves. Yeah, exactly. Which means they're not thinking about you. Exactly. They're thinking about them. Yeah. And it's like yeah. when you have that perspective, it's so much easier to take risks. Yeah. And and you're just so much more confident. You just don't care what people think. You just get a, you can trailblaze your way through life because mm. you're not sitting there playing mind games with yourself and mind games with other people. You're just like, well, no, this is what I believe in. You know, and that also comes down, I think it's very important and it comes down to your inner morals and what your, your life, uh, what, how, much, how much integrity you have in yourself. And if you truly believe that what you're doing is right, and <clears throat> you're doing right by people and you've got the right integrity in your moves and right morals in life, um, then it makes every decision a no-brainer. Mm. How do you build something like that? Oh, man, you've got to find your own. Like, it's, it's such a unique thing. I, I mean, there are some big ones in life, you know, trade others. I come from a Christian household. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not necessarily strongly... Uh, I'm not strongly swung in any way. I actually believe I'm a, I, I believe I'm a very spiritual person, but I don't necessarily define it as anything. Mm. Um, you know, I believe heavily in treating other people well and, and, and thinking about my intentions about every single time I do something, you know, um, and I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, having respect and, giving everyone the, the time of day and, you know, all of those little things. I think it comes, I think it's really hard because every race, religion, sexuality, every single one probably has a different base level mm. of what they look at in terms of what mor what moral is. So it's really hard at the moment um, because just because I think something's right doesn't mean it's right to someone else. Yeah. But at the same time, like where, like where am I drawing the line of uh, what I believe is is the moral and right thing to do? You know, I think for me, it's about 
do these actions affect someone else? Yeah. If the answer is no, then I'm going to do me, whatever yes. I want yeah, to do. Exactly. Like, for me, that's the line. If, yeah. it, if it does impact someone else and affect someone else, yes. then I need to consider whether or not that's morally right by them yeah. as well. Exactly. Um, but I also think it's about being true to yourself yeah. and accepting who you are for yeah. what it is, yeah, which exactly. is which is really hard to do at a young age because coming out of school, you sort of <laughs> you built these cliques, and yeah. it's really scary to leave yeah. that. Yeah, but there's also something really powerful in seeking out your people. Yeah, exactly. But first, you got to understand who you, who you are on a deeper yeah. level. Yeah. Oh, and man, like like I'm a wolfpack kind of person. Um, you know, I got my people, and I I latch on, and I am fiercely loyal. And but but I've chosen very carefully mm. who those people are, and I've tried to build those moral beliefs into that that group, so that you know we, me and my mates, very open with each other. We talk about mental health. We are um, willing to be you know humbled by things in front of each other, where you know we. There's no real ego thrown around within my friend group. And that's, I think that that's so important. Um, How do you find people like that? Oh man, you got to have a, it's a bit of a mental checklist, right? Like, you know, I'm a deep believer of the gut, you know, your gut, it's a real thing and it speaks to you and it's, it is so powerful once you listen to it and, and you can't have a good gut unless you are built around those morals, your integrity, all of those really important principles that make up you as a person. Um, but eventually your gut just speaks for itself, mm. you know? Um, and so when someone comes along and you can tell very quickly whether they're a waste of your time. Um, now I'm not saying that you you have to be rude to them or you have to actually, you know, be dismissive or anything like that, but um, it's all about investment and choosing to invest in someone is very different from being friendly with someone Um, or even, or even taking time to be interested in someone doesn't mean you necessarily need to invest in that person. And I think that um, it's like anything, you've got to be careful with your time when you are short on it and you need to be able to uh, invest in people correctly. And sometimes investments fail. Um, and that's happened to me before and I've invested in people and it's, it's been a bit of a dead end. But at the mm. same time, if you listen to your gut um, and your gut is built on those important principles, then most of the time you get it right. <laughs> what did the gut tell you about the podcast today? <laughs> oh, terrible. Really? Didn't want to, no, that, no, no. That's no, why no, you made no. the massive journey up the man, hill. It's, it's, yeah, 300 meters up the road. <laughs> no, for me, man, it was, um, I'm always willing to give something a go, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and also like, you know, your podcast is set up to help people. Um, it's not you, you know, it, it's not you trying to, uh, you know, impress everyone with your own accolade it's 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 actually well let's have a conversation about how we can better other people Mm. for me that's a no-brainer like you're you're in a service you're trying to serve people and help people so for me that that's that's exactly the the kind of makeup that is makes my gut kind of go ah Cool. I love that. That's good. Thanks, dude. (laughs) That is the point. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, exactly. What's the plan for the future for you? 
It's a hard one because I've never, I've not really known the plan for the past four years. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun though. It's exciting. <laughs> no, I'm, um, I like to keep a, like the way I've worked on building my business and also building my brand and building my personality and everything like that is I want to leave wiggle room for if an opportunity comes up, let's explore that. Um, so like I have a general direction. Um, my general direction is I want to work on building a bigger picture for how food coma and also my, my management, um, business can serve and grow the hospitality industry. If I'm completely honest with you, I want to be a driving force within the hospitality industry that is unmistakable and, um, and I want to be able to actually seriously at a big picture level uh, affect the market and affect, mm. the, affect the way that hospitality is looked at and how it's treated and how the government, even down to government grants and things like that. Because I want to be involved and I think I've built such a strong connection with the industry and actually have, have seen such an array of businesses across, across Sydney um, that I, I have a stake in it. I have a stake in its future and I want to help it. I want to, I want to be that driving force that, um, fights for it and that, uh, people look to, to understand better, um, what the industry is about. You know, not everyone in the industry, uh, has the same feelings that I do towards, you know, serving, but then there are the people that do. And I, I believe that it's a hard industry to work in. And I'm, I'm so proud of the people who, who work in it day in, day out because they're just, they're exposed to so much crap. Yeah. Um, so it's like bigger picture, but like smaller picture, I've got a book coming out in like three to four months, Sick. hopefully. What's that? On? Hopefully. Um, so it's, a, I haven't worked on the title's still in working, but I've written it. Um, and so it's a recipe book, uh, but it's very colloquial. It's very funny. It's all about like, I'm telling jokes and cracking, telling analogies along the way and like making weird metaphors between different <laughs> things. And, um, but then, you know, the intro is just all at uh, the intro and outro a little bit more like a um, little bit more personal. And, you know, I tell my story about how I believe that some of the biggest moments in your life are often tied to food. You know, um, you can remember the thing that you were eating on the day of, you know, your wedding day and the big milestones and marks in your life. Generally, you can remember what you were eating. True that. Um, and, and so it's all about food memories and, yeah. and, uh, but you know, it's also a recipe book that shows you how I cook sick burgers and, That's awesome. um, you know, things like tips to how, how to, you know, mince your own patties and how mm. to smash a burger and, uh, you know, how to cook a steak well and how to fry chicken well and, um, all the little intangibles that, uh, you know, come together to make a really good burger yeah that's sick when yeah. that comes out let me know I'll yeah share it, with, share it with your uncle Nathan <laughs> oh, thank community. you guys. Thank that's you, um i i went into a bookstore in hobart and yeah. was looking through all the books and like i'm not someone i'm a very lazy eater okay so like i you i don't like put too much effort into it i like cooking food but because it takes so long and i yeah. eat it in 30 seconds yeah it doesn't feel like a tra like a good trade-off for yeah. me so i get it's really lazy yeah and i just buy food out stuff yeah. like that yeah but this book i came across in hobart was a cookbook that was cool. 
And I was like, this okay. is my sort of thing. Okay, I can cool. read this and laugh and enjoy the food. Yeah. And like, it's cool. And yeah. I feel cool cooking food. It's yeah. not so structured and all this and that. So like, yeah. I'm definitely going to get around that. Yeah, cool man. Yeah, yeah. I want something like that. Yeah, yeah, man. And it's chill. Like, it's not like these aren't over chefy recipes. Most of it, it's like you can just buy three or four ingredients from all these, slap it together. You can be, you can be the person who determines how hard it is. Mm. Um, but, you know, some of it could be done in 10, 15 minutes, you know. See? Excuse me. You're up. Um, yeah, so I've got the book coming out. I want to have more, I want to kind of build more stuff. I want to, I'm actually looking to create a social media intensive course, like a 10 week course that I teach people about how, how to build their own profiles and, and the difference between Instagram, Facebook and TikTok and that will be changing information as well in the next two years, but, mm. um, how to take a good photo, um, you know, how to put yourself in front of the camera, uh, what the different equipment is, you know, like everything start to finish, um, social media and then, um, yeah, man, just work on, uh, and it's the hardest thing and every business owner says that I want to work on the business, not in the business. Mm. Um, this kind of stuff is so important, um, because, in reality, people are sold on a story. And um, if you can tell that story really well, and if you're spending less time working in your business and you can actually tell the story of your business, um, it's more valuable than anything else. For sure. I love that. Mm. 10 under 10? <clears throat> 10 under 10. Let's go. Let's do it. Question one, what's your favorite book? Oh, easiest answer in the world. I've read it like four or five times. I read it probably every, every year, probably once at least, maybe, maybe every couple of years, depending on, um, my, uh, how I'm feeling. And it's, uh, how to win, win friends and influence people. Dale Carnegie. Best book. Best book in the world. I read that when I was 17. Yeah. Still got it on the bookshelf. It's amazing. Like you, I read it very often. Yeah. It's just, it's practical. It, and it's, evergreen it will last forever that information that goes back to what we we're saying before about finding your people yeah that's the book to start yeah exactly it teaches you what to look for exactly um make sure you bring a pen and paper write notes mm. get your brain yeah and you find different things every time for sure most motivating quote uh oh that's a hard one um i thought i had an answer and i lost it uh something that keeps you going every day um Stay true to yourself. Like, I mean, I don't really have a, uh, I don't really know. I don't think anyone, maybe someone said it, but um, if I could say one thing, like if there's a phrase that motivates me every day, stay true to yourself. Mm, I like um, it. Yeah. That's so a, important. It's a good answer. Yeah. Because it's, that's simple. That's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> most, most things in life that are really insightful are quite simple. Yeah. Like, you know the phrase, this too shall pass? This what? This too shall yeah, pass. Yeah, exactly. That was the sentence Shit that happens. came up for uh, <coughs> Abraham Lincoln wanted a sentence that yeah. would forever and always be accurate and true. It's true. And that's it. It's Life very simple. It keeps going. Question three. What's your midnight snack? Oh, um, uh, <laughs> it, it's very easily, it's an up and go energize. I'll have, I'll, it's like part of my night routine is to have a couple of up and go energizers before I go to bed. Why? Um, 
So uh, obviously bitter casein protein because you're getting the skim milk or I don't, I think it's skim milk in them. Um, so you're getting casein protein. Casein protein is a slow digesting protein, stays in your system for a long period of time and slowly releases amino acids into your body um, and your muscles. It also helps with sleep. Um, and as well, uh, it has sugar in it. Um, and obviously I don't, I try and avoid most sugar. Um, when it's paired with a bit of protein, you're less, it's less likely to shoot up your glycemic, um, index. Mm. Uh, so it doesn't shoot up as much, but, um, a little bit of carbs also help you sleep. I'm a, uh, my brain turns over at night. Um, and if I don't do something like that, if I don't have, um, you know, some food before I go to bed, or if I don't have, uh, something like that, I will turn over and my brain will move for two or three hours before I fall yeah. asleep. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Maybe I should do that because my brain, before <laughs> bed, my brain is going a million miles an hour. Yeah. It's so annoying because it's like oh, you've had all the whole day to do things, but then your brain hasn't had time to process. And when you sleep is when you get some of your best processing done. Mm. It helps though if you sleep. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely does. Um, what's the scariest moment been? Oh... Um, it's a three-way tie. Uh, the first, if we're going to go chronologically, it would be, uh, I got lifted off my board by a shark. Whoa. Yeah. So I was 17. I was, yeah. So I was, I, I can remember it distinctly. Um, I was 17 years old. I was, uh, it was the day after Australia Day and it was a kind of like murky, a little bit of a murky day, like, you know, overcast, it was choppy, not a real amount of surf, like it was only one to two foot, so it wasn't really like hectic, um, but you know, it just, there's a weird feeling in the air and um, I was out with uh, two of my friends, one of which that was, he was just not really a surfer or he was a bodyboarder, but also like he didn't really go out in the water much. Mm. He was, he lived out in like Thornley and we were at Warrywood Beach um, and there was no flags up and it was like middle of summer as well. So like usually you'd have flags up mm. um, and we went out, no one else was out and uh, I was kind of sitting there and one of my mates, he like kind of he duck-dived a wave and he, he saw like something in the water. He saw like a bit of a shadow and he was like, Oh, like, did you see that? And I was like, oh, like we, we kind of like talked for a sec. I was like, Oh no, I, like, I didn't really see anything. And I was like looking around. Anyway, I've, I've, I've kind of like looked up and next thing I know I'm getting lifted, like quite literally like lifted in the air and like thrown off my board what? by this shark. And like, it sends like tingles down my spine. Um, I've got like goose hairs at the moment. Same, um, <laughs> and um, it was this, like, I was just like, it, my, my brain went on overdrive and I was, I was screamed at my friend. I said, get in. And like, I grabbed my board and it was lucky. Like there was a wave coming at that moment. And you know how you can kind of scoop when yeah. you're like in the water, you can kind of scoop and then paddle. Yeah. I scooped and paddled and like, I gunned it into the, um, into the shore and like, I don't know, like maybe he would, he was just curious and you know, I could have, I could have been fine. If, um, but I wasn't risking anything. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't wait around. To uh, <laughs> Sheesh. Um, another second time would be, um, uh, 
Everest Base Camp. Um, so we went up to Kalapatar, which is a little bit higher. Uh, and we were, we went, we, we kind of like pushed the limits a little bit that day. We were supposed to only do Everest Base Camp. Um, and when we got back to Everest, to Gorakshep, which is after, so you go out to Base Camp and back to Gorakshep. Um, we were speaking to the Sherpas and we were like, hey, can we, can we do Kalapatar? Mainly because I didn't want to get up at like three in the morning um, and do Kalapatar. So I just wanted mm. to do it that afternoon. And we went up there and um, this massive storm came through. And it was like me, uh, this bloke that I'd been doing the trek with um, and a Sherpa. And we were getting knocked around at the top of this mountain. And like, there's oh. like, you only got about you know, five metres of room and, and we, we were getting knocked around by the wind and we were like huddling and like freezing and getting thrown around and, um, you know, the, the storm passed, but it felt like that was it. That was my moment. Wow. Um, we came down the mountain and then, um, you know, people are scattered everywhere and like people like freaking out. And so we had to like calmly make our way down the mountain and, <laughs> and, and collect people with us. So that was hectic. And, by far, probably the the scariest moment in my life was um, <laughs> uh, when I was. Uh, well, this was last year. We found out um, that my wife's mum was terminally ill. Um, <clears throat> oh, big fella, gonna bit it's emotional. Right, Go for it. <clears throat> um. We weren't quite married by that point. We were just about to get married, probably about a, maybe uh, two or three weeks away from being married. Um, and like we knew that uh, she was sick, but like we thought, you know, maybe it was depression or whatever. And, and she had had br- uh, breast cancer previously two years before. So uh, we were, you know, we were sitting there like at my parents' place. We were just about to like get dressed to have a uh I swim with them and um, we're up in like the spare bedroom and like, (laughs) it's like a call you'll never forget. And it sends like, sends chills down your bones, man. And it was like, it was basically finding out that she had weeks to live. Um, And like, we were like, oh, we were just shattered. Like, and like, I was just like, like completely, like I'd lost all the, oxygen in my body and like completely lost him like but we were on the phone with like you know four people connected to the call so we were trying not to make a scene so like we're sitting there like in a room trying to quietly like break down um and you know we had to you know and then like there was a yeah it was just chilling chilling moment because it was like well okay this is like this has got ramifications Mm. for the for the rest of our lives and you know like the the ongoing um yeah like you you can just see like in that moment I could just I could picture the future and it was chilling man yeah yeah scariest scariest moment of my life for sure just chilling I just said I can imagine but I can't (laughs) you know but like you know any any sort of empathy is good bro yeah but I, th- I feel like that's the sort of situation that you you have no idea how you're going to react, what yeah. you're going to feel until, and fingers crossed it never does, but until yeah. it happens. Yeah. I and wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Yeah. That's brutal. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, dude. Yeah. It's all good. Um, yeah. Most rewarding win. 
Ooh. Oh, that's a hard, hard, hard one. Biggest win. Um... Oh, you know, oh, I think I'm just going to go surface level with this one. Uh, Guinness World Record. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I just, I copped two Guinness World Records um, in a week. Sick. Uh, I did the most uh, cannoli eaten in eight, uh, 30 seconds, which I consumed eight. Oh, I always struggle with that one because I have to say I ate eight. So I just <laughs> say I consumed. Nice. In 30 seconds, and then it was uh, the most jam donuts eaten in a minute without licking your lips and uh, without drinking water. I did six in a minute. Um, I ended up in the 2022 Guinness World Record book, which is hectic. Like, that's that's in there forever. And I can yeah. show my kids that I'm in a record book. Like, I got the Guinness World Record book growing up, and I loved looking at it. I that loved reading awesome. through it. And, yeah, I gave my I gave a copy to my, um, to my nephews, mm. and... That was sick. That is probably the biggest win of my moment. We, and also probably marrying my wife, you know. Mm. Um, it, probably, I shouldn't say that. She's <laughs> going to murder me for that. <laughs> no, nah, seriously, like, yeah, the day I married my wife was, um, that's a big moment for me. You know, we, we, we were meant for each other. We're soulmates. So mm. I love that, dude. easier. <laughs> Best mistake you've made? Um, oh. Best mistake. There's too many, <laughs> too many mistakes, bro. That um, in of, of itself <clears throat> says something. I think that, uh, oh, I actually can't boil it down to one. What's something that you, in the moment, something that really sucked that you look back on now going, I'm so glad that happened. Oh, okay. Actually, probably. It's, it's kind of a, a mistake. Um, I shattered my collarbone um, in 2019. Uh, I was up on Mount Perisher uh, in a quarter edge and just, it went like, it was just game over. Um, I landed on the tip of my collarbone and the thing just turned to dust. Um, I cooked my collarbone in 2019. No well. way! When I was in oh, no! <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Know, oh, bro, I feel your pain. Yeah. It is like debilitating. It, it taught me so much. Um, so I shattered it. I, you know, ha- had to make the, the trip all the way back to Sydney, uh, you know, on minimal painkillers in a bumpy car as my shoulder was like moving up and down and like getting thrown around. And um, I got back to Sydney and, you know, went to the hospital, etc. You know, they went through the process. They're like, oh, you know, you, you might need to get a, you, you, you can get a surgery. You can, you don't need to get a surgery. And then he looked at the x-ray. He's like, you need a surgery, bro. Um, and so, uh, I, it was really, really a test of character because I hadn't really had a major injury for a while. I'd minor injuries. Um, I trained through the injury so I, I was in the gym five days after surgery, training one side of my body, doing wow. like everything possible. So I think it, it taught me a lot about recovery and it taught me a lot about active recovery. And, um, but also it challenged me immensely because I was forced to rely on other people. Mm. Um, and that's a very humbling experience. But also I was forced to work through it. I took one day off. 
after I shattered my collarbone. Um, and I went back to work on the Monday, uh, for, because you, when you own a business, you don't get mm. sick leave. So, um, it humbled me a lot and it taught me a lot about perseverance. Um, and geez, and also like being able to rely on other people. That mm. was huge. That's a great answer. Yeah. What's your ideal place to live? Right where I live now. Yeah. <laughs> close to the beach. Yeah. Close to the beach. Um, no, I love, I love the Northern beaches. I'm mm. never going to leave. Uh, I'm working hard now to make sure that I can live here for the rest of my life. Yeah, sick. Um, actually, you know, I, I want to rephrase that. The best place to live for me is wherever my friends and family is. Mm. And so we've architected that with my family and friends, and they all live within two to three kilometers. It's stupid. Wow. Um, <laughs> we're talking like, you know, cousins, uncles, mum, dad, nephews, sister, brother, you know, it's just hectic. Sorted. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. Um, what's been your most surreal experience? Uh, oh, surreal. Um, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Surreal. That was just, I was like pinching myself. I was like, this can't be real. Mm. Um, like it is pretty crazy. Like, oh, it's mental, dude. If it's someone told one, me... One in a hundred years. If someone told me that I had to be locked inside my house for two months... Yeah. I would have told them they're absolutely kidding themselves. Yeah, exactly. You're laughing, you know. But it happened. Yeah. Yeah, it is pretty surreal. The ramifications and everything, the flow-on effects, even from black property prices to used car prices to mm. gym equipment to businesses, uh, it, it was... You can't, I cannot explain to someone what that does to yeah. a person. It's yeah, surreal. it's pretty crazy. It's crazy. What's one thing you want to do before you die? Oh, um, my wife is going to hate me for saying this. Um, and uh, it may end up being one of those things that I just don't end up doing, um, which I'm okay with uh, because it's not all about me. Um <laughs> But I, I, I want to have a crack at the real thing of Everest. Um, Knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's like a bug, man. And uh, I, I would say that spending that time up on the mountain is probably one of the most uh, humbling and real experiences I've ever had in my life because mm. it, it forced me to just be, just be present and be there. Yeah. And that's it. Wow. Is it quite expensive? Yeah, it's like sixty k. Far out. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot involved, and I'd love to do it, but uh, it's like a. It's I've got to be set up for life, and mm. I've got to have. But the problem is, then like you're risking your life when you've got kids, and yeah. um, it may be end up end up being something I don't do, um, and then you know I'll find my next thing. If that's it's the good case. to have a dream. Yeah, exactly. Question ten: Who or what inspires you? Oh, mm. who inspires me or what inspires me? I think the world inspires me. Um, I'm driven to understand the world and I'm driven to make an impact on the world and I'm driven to, to really break down what matters and... I think being able to 
analyze and break down and, and really have a grasp on the world for me is just, it's my biggest driving factor is I want to, I want to understand everything better. I want to learn more. I want to be, mm. I want to be constantly, um, constantly stimulated and yeah, I don't want to be complacent. I like it. Yeah. I really, really <laughs> like hectic. it. Yeah, <laughs> Very big brain shit here. <laughs> dude, like that's the perfect answer. I think what is the point if you're not thinking high level like that? Yeah. Like that's yeah. the sort of shit that drives me. Yeah. Good. It should be. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever forget it. <laughs> True. But it's hard sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. Yeah. It's hard. Sometimes you just want to sleep. Oh, fuck it. Out. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, thank you so much nah, for joining me on the nah, that podcast. Was that was, was an fun. awesome chat and I really appreciate how, how open you were as well, dude. Yeah. No worries, bro. Open book. Sweet as, another story shared and another lesson learned. If you've made it this far, I'd be stoked if you could take a minute to give the show a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. With your support, we can both empower more young people to chase their dreams. If you have any questions about today's episode, make sure to jump on Instagram and send me a DM at Uncle Nathan Co. Or head to the website at UncleNathan.com to join our community. All right, enough from me. Thank you so much for your support and I'll catch you next time.